So we've talked about what does Revelation look like? How does it come? What are the forms? What are the many ways he speaks? How are you? When do you leave? Okay, getting close. We've talked about the forms of Revelation. Um, what does it look like? What are the many different forms? And then we started talking about rules of Revelation. And something started to creep in over and over and over again. I don't know if you noticed it, but you have a great deal of control over the flow of Revelation in your life. We've seen that week in and week out. That you're not just standing there waiting for Heavenly Father to speak to you. There's a great deal of control that you have. One of the things we talked about is that this body and your spirit are inseparably connected. And that we are tied to God. Well, the blessing of the word of wisdom that we saw was that if you obey the word of wisdom, you will have strength in your navel. Now, those of you who have been to the temple, that should be a sacred word. The navel. Reminders of the navel. You are connected to God through a navel. When you stand and face God, you are connected through a navel. Now, there was a time when I was connected to my mom through a navel. And she fed me. She took waste out and put nutrients in. And I have a spiritual navel. I am connected to God through a navel. And that I control the flow through that navel. And once you started to see that pattern, taking care of your body has an effect on that. Forgiving others has a tremendous influence on that. I hope last week really made an impression upon you that if I let go of the $18,000 debts that people owe me, I get this, this rush that comes from a $22 billion debt being loosed. And it really is in my control. So, I have been searching through the scriptures to say, what are some of the other ways I control the flow of nutrients from Heavenly Father? And tonight I can't help but notice a very significant pattern. I would love it if our scriptures came pre-marked, if the Lord marked the most important verses already in the scriptures, if they were just marked a different color then I could just flip through and read through which ones are the most important. But they don't come marked, do they? So how do we know which ones are the most important to Heavenly Father? You don't possibly believe that all Scripture is of equal worth, do you? That every verse is equal in importance? You shouldn't. A quick read through the Scriptures will tell you that that's not the case. So which ones are the most important verse? Where does Heavenly Father wave his arms and say, something really important is happening and I need you to pay attention? He does it through repetition and patterns. And so if you begin to read the scriptures looking for repetition and patterns, you begin to realize there's a very strong message. So allow me to add the next couple of lessons 
to our list of how you control the flow. How you control the flow of revelation through the navel to Heavenly Father. So let me show you a pattern. I want to start in Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to take you back to the New Testament. Um, we do, I, don't think we, I don't think anyone really believes that in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus just gave these parables back to back. I think Matthew collected them. These are parables he's given here and there and once in a while. And Matthew just said, let me put them all together into one scripture. So Matthew chapter 13 is the compilation of a whole bunch of parables that apparently Jesus taught over and over and over again in different settings. Now, the first parable is the parable of the sower. He gives and interprets the parable of the sower. After that, starting in verse 24, another parable put he forth about wheat and tares. And I think you all know the parable, right? The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, now I've emphasized that, and you'll see why in just a minute. But while men slept, his enemies came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So when the blade sprung up and they didn't know what to do, what should we do? Should we pull out the tares? No, lest you disturb the wheat, let them grow till the harvest. So we're going to let them grow until the far harvest, and then we'll harvest them both. In the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, go ye first to the tares and bind them in bundles, but the wheat gather into my barn. You know the parable, right? And then the Lord interprets the parable. He that sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one, and the enemy that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, the tares are gathered and burned into the fire. We'll gather out the righteous. Okay, what's the point? What's the therefore what? It's a cool parable. Guys throw seeds, enemy sows tares, Let's late. I mean, is the only point that at the end of the world, we're going to separate good and evil? Okay, so what's the point? Now, I read this and, 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 and a light goes on and says, wait a minute. It's very rare for Jesus not to make a very significant point. Every parable has a very significant point, but this parable doesn't seem to make a point. Therefore, do this. The only do this I can see is wait till the end of the world and then the bad guys are going to get what's theirs. I don't see a point. I don't see Jesus making a point. And that puzzles me. And so I start looking for patterns. So now let me show you a pattern. Let me show you something that is odd. Of all the parables Jesus gave the one that comes up the most repeatedly in the Doctrine and Covenants is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Turn with me to section 86. Doctrine and Covenants section 86. And now all of a sudden I would suggest to you the reason he didn't make a point in the New Testament becomes pretty clear. 
Doctrine and Covenants section 86 is a whole section of the Doctrine and Covenants on the parable of the wheat and the tares. Thus saith the Lord unto you concerning the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, does any other parable get this much real estate in the Doctrine and Covenants? No. So Jesus is going to include an entire section on the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, what's his point here? Let's talk about the parable of the wheat and the tares. The field is the world. We knew that. The apostles are the sowers. We kind of assumed that. After they have fallen asleep, the great persecutor of the church, the apostate, the whore, even Babylon, that maketh all nations to drink of her cup, she sows the tares. Okay, so what did he add? Tell me what the Doctrine and Covenants adds. It's the time period. What's the time period? The growing of the wheat and the tares together is when? If the sowing of the tares is... So when does the apostasy... When, does the, when do the church... When do they fall asleep? Hey, Stephen's here! You going to join us? No? Took one look and said, I'm out of here. When does the... When do the... When, notice this. After they've fallen asleep, during the apostasy, they sow the tares. So in what time period are the wheat and the tares growing together? In our day. The reason I think he couldn't tell a whole lot to the Jews is because this parable has application when? In our day. I think the Savior was telling them, but talking to us. I'm going to put this in the Bible so that you can see I think it's significant. I'm going to put a parable in the Bible that has nothing to do with these people simply because it's, this is where it's beginning. The apostles are sowing the seed. But this parable is about you in the latter days. So what is he saying? He seems to be saying one of the greatest challenges of living in the latter days is not knowing the difference between wheat and tear. They are growing together. Notice what he says. Therefore, he says it a couple times. Therefore, let's go to verse 7 though. Therefore, let the wheat and the tares grow together. You are living in a day where wheat and tares are growing together. And that is a major concern to him. So let me throw one more definition in before I show you another pattern. <clears throat> What's the real problem with wheat and tares growing together? What's the real problem? Let me show you, let me pull up the Bible dictionary and let's look up the word tares. There's two problems with a tear. Tell me what's the problem with a tear. Poisonous. Number one, it's poisonous. It's poisonous. And number two, it looks just like wheat until the very end. So let's put all this together. 
one of the Savior's biggest concerns, concerned enough that he would bring it up in the Bible when it really didn't have much to do with them. But one of the Savior's biggest concerns is that after the apostasy, in your day, when you're young and you're growing, wheat and tare are going to look so much alike that you're not going to tell them apart. The problem, though, is tares are poison. So as I calculate this, I think there's four possibilities here. I can, I can take four approaches. I can look at someone and say, you're wheat. I think you're wheat. I think you are good and wholesome and I'm going to let you into my life. I judge you to be wheat and what they are is wheat and I got it right. All of you have lived long enough to know that you made a really smart decision in choosing a certain friend or letting a certain person into your life because you've now lived long enough to say that was the smartest thing I did. They were wheat and I let them in and they blessed me. I got that one right. The other positive possibility is I look at you and I see poison. I think you're poison. I don't think you're my friend. And I keep them out of my life. And I live long enough to realize I got it right. I avoided a poison. And all of you did that. I think all the time about a moment where I did this. I was 13 years old and we were camping and I found an untouched, unopened package of cigarettes in a field. I was alone. No one was around. We're camping, so clearly we had matches. But my third, and I was curious, wouldn't you be curious? But my 13-year-old brain said to me, this is poison. You don't want to have anything to do with this. And I ripped him up. And I have lived long enough to say, guess what? I got it right. But what are the two negatives? If the Savior is saying, I'm concerned that wheat and tares are growing together and one's poisonous. Tell me what he's saying. Some of you have looked at someone, something, saw wheat, let it into your life, and it poisoned you. Some of you are letting poisons into your life disguised as wheat. And you're being poisoned. Now, I think we're, I've, I've done that. I know some of you have done that. I've let the wrong people into my life. And some of them have poisoned me. One of them almost cost me $200,000. Luckily, by the grace of God, I got away without being poisoned. Had I stayed one more day, one more week, it would have completely altered my life. But I let a poison into my life. Now the other negative is what? 
I see tear. That's what I see. And what it really is, is wheat. Some of us are pushing out something that would tremendously feed us and nourish us and strengthen us. But we're judgmental for the wrong reason and we're pushing it out. So if you were to ask me, based on these patterns I watched you, and I'm gonna show you one more big pattern. Based on how often Jesus seems to be emphasizing this story, what is one of the biggest reasons we're not hearing him more frequently? It's because we let poisons into our lives and we keep out the very things and the very people that would increase communication with God. So we need to have this discussion about keeping certain poisons out that certainly look like wheat and pulling in what we've often perceived as tear. Now, where is this? So New Testament, Doctrine and Covenants, prominent places already, right? Where is this story in the Book of Mormon? This is one of the most popular, prominent stories in the Book of Mormon. The Lord put this story in such a prominent place as to say, you can't miss this, but you might miss the connection. Who is the wheat? Who is the tear that they thought was a wheat and poisoned them? This is King Noah. This is the friend they thought they had who ends up poisoning them. Now, who did they think was a tear, pushed out of their life, burned him? And the reality was he was their greatest friend and was there to save them. This is Abinadi. Now, where does Heavenly Father, where does the Lord put this story? Now, if you've never made the connection to wheat and tares, now how often is he emphasizing the problem we have in the latter days is confusing friend and foe and letting the wrong people in and keeping the right people out. How many times in your life can you look back and say, I let a wheat, I let a tarian disguised as a wheat and I kept a, a wheat out because I thought it was a tear. So let me just, let, let, let me just tell the story of Noah and Abinadi. Let's just get that on the table and then we'll begin to ask ourselves the question, how do I start to identify the tears I've let into my life as wheat that are affecting my communication with heaven? And what are some of the, what are some of the tear, the wheats that I'm keeping out of my life because I think they're tears? So let me just tell the story of, Neph of, of Noah and Abinadi. Ready? Let me point out how powerfully the Lord is telling this story in a very prominent place in the Book of Mormon. So turn with me to Mosiah chapter 11. Let's start in Mosiah chapter 11. Tell me about this man that they think is their friend. In what world is this man their friend? How in the world could they possibly think this man is their friend? So Mosiah chapter 11, 
Verse 2. Tell me what he's doing. Tell me what Noah is doing in verse 2. Okay, he is filling his, he's taking many women as his wives and concubines. Where is he getting these women? This is not a large group of Nephites. Remember, they, Zenith left Zarahemla and went down to dwell among the, 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 the Lamanites. This is a small little group of Nephites down among the Lamanites. Where are they getting these women? They are, they're not Lamanite women. Where are they getting them from? They're our daughters. He is taking our daughters, our mothers, our sisters, and we're doing what? He's our friend. In what world is this man a friend? He's taking our daughters, our sisters, our mothers as his wives and concubines. Verse 3, he taxes us. Now, I'm okay with a high tax. You can charge me a high tax if I'm going to get some benefit out of it. A nice road, a great building, a park. You can tax me if I'm going to get something. What are they buying with their taxes? Look at verse 4. He's, they're supporting him in his laziness. Let's read verse 6. Yea, thus they were supported in their laziness and in their idolatry and in their whoredoms by the taxes which King Noah put upon his people. Thus the people did labor exceedingly so that he could be a lazy bum. How is that your friend? You're working exceedingly hard. He's taking your taxes so that he can live this life. And notice they call him, they're saying he's living... Verse 14, placed his heart upon riches and spent his time in riotous living, supported by our high taxes. Am I painting a pretty picture of a nice friend, someone that cares about me, someone that's going to be there for me and defend me? This is no friend. This is not my friend. Look at verse 15. Tell me about him. Tell me about him. Verse 15. He's a drunk. Our king is a drunk. And yet, what do they think about him? They like him. They see friend in Noah. They see friend. In fact, when Abinadi comes along, Abinadi comes among them and says what? Repent, you sinners. I don't want to hear that. You're not my friend. Friends don't talk like that. Friends don't call me on the carpet and rebuke me. You're not my friend. So what do they do? Tell me what they do. Notice it came to pass that Abinadi, when Abinadi had spoken these words, they were wroth with him. Who's they? The people, not the priests of Noah, the people were wroth with him and sought to take away his life. So they look at Noah and what do they see? Friend, the guy taking our women, taxing us so that he can be a bum and a drunk. 
They look at him and see friend. Along comes Abinadi who came to save them and they see foe. Now, why is the Lord putting this story in the Book of Mormon? If you put all these dots together, he's saying, you and I are doing the same thing. You and I are looking at Noah's and seeing friend. And some of our modern day Noah's are people. Some of our modern day Noah's are substances that people get addicted to. Some of our modern day Noah's are philosophies and causes. Some of our modern day Noah's are ideas, not people. And they're fooling you into thinking that they're your friend. Now, maybe, maybe we should see if we can figure out why they were fooled. Let's go back to verse 2. Look at what's underlined this time. That was the only thing that made sense. Tell me why they might see him as friend. Because he said, it's okay to sin. He told them it was okay to sin. Oh, I like that. I like what you're telling me. I don't like what he's telling me. I like what you're telling me. You're my friend. He's not. How about verse 7? How many of you have let an enemy into your life because they did what? They flattered you. They made you feel important. And so you let them into your life. Utah is one of the highest per capita cons. More con artists steal money in Utah than so many other places because how do you get into the heart of a Utahan? You flatter them. You're nice to them. You treat them well. And we open our doors to the enemy. How about verse 12? Tell me what he did in verse 12. What does Noah do in verse 12? He built a tower. Meaning, how do you let... How, how do the blinders come on? What did he do that put the blinders on? He made them feel safe. I will protect you. You're safe. He allowed them to sin. He told them it was okay to sin. He flatters them. He makes them feel safe. Do you see why maybe the blinders go on? Now, the last verse of this chapter, the last verse of the chapter says what? The eyes of the people were blinded. Now, allow me to just connect all these dots and help you see that Heavenly Father sees something in your life, in our day, in living in the latter days, where it is very difficult to not let a Noah into your life. Sometimes because they flatter you. Sometimes because they make you feel safe. Sometimes they make you feel it's okay to sin. But in they come and the blinders go on. Now watch, chapter 12, watch what they do to Abinadi. Abinadi has some pretty harsh things to say to them. 
they're going to be eaten like dogs, by dogs. They're going to howl. Their land is going to be pillaged and they're going to suffer. Do all of these things come true? Every one of them. Every one of them. Abinadi was there simply to warn them, right? And did he warn them a little harshly? Yes. And when he warned them harshly, what did the blinders say? I don't like you. You're not my friend. You're not telling me what I want to hear. And so what do they do? They were angry with him and took him and carried him bound before the king. They took Abinadi in chains before Noah. You see the irony? They should have bound which one of them and taken him to, but instead they bind Abinadi and take him to Noah. And when they get there, they use a very common J word. Noah blind people often use what J word? You are doing what? You are judging us. You are judging. What great evil hast thou done that this man, that what great sins have thy people committed that we should be judged of this man? Behold, O king, we are guiltless, and thou, king, hast not sinned. How blind are they? So what are they going to do to Abinadi? They're going to burn him. They're going to burn the person who came to save them. And he's gone. Go to chapter 19. This is a sad story. This, this is so frustrating to me. Because when does Satan take the binder? When does Satan allow the blinders to come off? When it's too late. Watch the story end. Ready? Watch the story end. Now, there was a man named Gideon who finally saw Noah for what he was. An enemy to the people and Noah's going to come and destroy him. Enemy is going to try, er, Gideon's going to try and save the people by destroying Noah. So Noah and Gideon are fighting. They get up on the tower and they see the Lamanites coming. The Lamanites just so happen to be attacking. So Noah says, Gideon, spare me, for the Lamanites are upon us, and they will destroy. Yea, they will destroy my people. Let me go so I can save them. Now, I need someone to read verse 8. Mosiah chapter 19, verse 8. Please hear what it's saying. James? And now the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was about his own. I need you to read that again. Now, the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was about his own. Do you hear it? One more time. Now, the king was not so much concerned about his people as he was. He is not your friend. He is not your friend. Drugs and alcohol, not your friend. Certain philosophies, not your friend. Certain causes that so many people are getting caught up in, not your friend. They do not care about you. So tell me what the friend says. Their blinders are on and they look at Noah and they see friend. They've already burned Abinadi. 
So tell me what the friend says. Tell me what he says. Run. Everyone run. Let's run from the Lamanites. Okay, so I'm so blinded and I'm following Noah, I run. Let me put a Dunford family picture up here, okay? I'll show you my crew. I think I've got a recent one. Okay, here we are. Here's the Dunford crew. This is my family. There's 23 of us now. My wife and I are taking the picture, but that's our 23. So that's my oldest. One, two, three, four, five, where's Hallie? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Those are my ten. And then spouses and grandchildren. So our family's going to run. We're going to run. We're going to outrun the Lamanite army. Is that group going to outrun the Lamanite army? No. Do you think uh, Reggie's going to outrun the Lamanite army? All right, we can carry Reggie. Okay, we can carry Rosie. We can carry the little ones. Keegan's starting to get a little bit hard. I don't know who's going to carry Keegan, and I don't know who's going to carry Corbin. Corbin's almost six feet tall, but I don't think he outruns the Lamanite army. And I don't know who's going to hold my 19-year-old daughter who's not going to outrun the Lamanite army. And so we're running, and we're running slow, and the Lamanites are catching up. And I turn to my friend, and I say, what should I do? The Lamanites are catching up. What should I do, friend? And tell me what my friend says. Leave them. Leave them. Now, what do my blinders say? That those instructions are from my friend. And so I leave. I leave my wife. I leave the children. I leave my 19-year-old daughter. And I run because I'm blinded by who my real friend is. Now, am I going to outrun the Lamanite army? Mm -hmm. Am I going to outrun the Lamanite army? Mm -hmm. Yes. Because where will they stop? At my family. They'll stop at my, 18, my 19 year old daughter. They'll stop and I'll get away. So picture this. Oh, oh, we made it. We're safe. We're safe. Then oh. what happens? Tell me what happens. What have I done? What have I done? I'm going back. Some of them swore in their hearts that they would return to the land of Nephi. I'm going back. I'm going back to save my family. Who stops them? Who stops the men from going back to their families? The king. And for the first time, what happens?
Tell me. The blinders come off. And they see who he really is. The man they thought was the man they followed into the wilderness at the expense of their families. All of a sudden, what do they see? You are no friend. I was fooled. You are not wheat. You are tear. And what do they do to King Abinadi in that little clearing? Or sorry, King Noah. What do they do to him? They burn him. Because that's what you do to tares, right? You burn tares. Now tell me what they need. Tell me what they need right now. Now that they've realized that, king, that the king is no friend, tell me what they need. I need a prophet. We need a prophet. Oh, wait. We burned him. Okay, what else do they need? I need my family. Oh, wait. We burned them. Now, how many, of you, how many times have you seen this story play out? I can't tell you how many times I've watched this story play out. Let me give you a couple. I once watched a young woman, sweet, wonderful young woman, but didn't get asked out a lot. And along came Noah and flattered her and swept her off her feet. And as soon as they got together, all her real friends, all of the Abinadi's in her life started to say what? Why are you with him? You know what kind of person he is. Why are you with him? Why are you with him? And what did she say to them? What did she say to them? Stop judging him. He knows me. He cares about me. And you clearly don't. And she burned all of her friends. I watched her burn all of her friends. She burned her parents. She burned her relationship with her family over this guy. Now, tell me how the story ends. Pregnant in high school before graduation. And when she gets pregnant in high school before graduation, what usually happens to Noah? Tell me what happens to Noah's. That's when they're gone, right? Now, what does she need right now? Her friends and her family. Now, luckily, they welcomed her back. But she had burned some major relationships that she had to repair. I watched it. Let me give you another example. I was teaching seminary at the time, and I had a sophomore who went to rehab. A sophomore in high school who went to rehab. Fooled by an imitation, fooled by a Noah. And he went to rehab. And I was going to teach this lesson, and I was really nervous about teaching this lesson. How's, how's he going to take it? And he was really quiet the whole time. And then towards the end, he couldn't not speak and he raised his hand. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, my mom sent me to rehab. It was my mom that sent me to rehab and I hated her. I hated my mom. 
And if I could have, I would have burned her. And now he started to weep. He said, now I realize that I didn't have a better friend in all the world in that moment than my mom. But I burned her. I pushed her out. Because I had let a wheat, or a tear disguised as a wheat into my life. Now, do you see how often this story is played out in the scriptures? That repetition catches my attention, and I can't not teach it when I see it so prominently taught. And in a class on hearing him better and having more revelation and connecting with heaven, I have to warn you that one of the biggest obstacles is being fooled and letting poison into your life. Can you look back on your life and realize that some of the biggest struggles you've had spiritually was because you let the wrong thing in? Do you see the doctrine? Do you see why I'm teaching this in a hear him class? I can testify, and I can testify of having taught so many young people that sometimes, most often, the biggest spiritual struggles of our lives are because we let Noah in and kept Abinadi out. So if you want to hear him better, learn to keep the Abinadi's in and the Noah's eye out. Are there some people, some things, some substances? Are there some philosophies in your life right now that are poisoning you and interfering with the spirit you're trying to feel? This story is saying, get them out. Get them out. Get them out. Now, can you do that in a kind Christian way? Yes, you can. Being asked to love everyone doesn't mean we give everyone access to the inner circles of my life. I need to have boundaries and I must have boundaries and I need to set those boundaries to say, you don't pass this line. I love you, but you don't cross this line because I now recognize the tear that you are and I'm done being fooled. I am now going to create a boundary and say, you don't cross this inner line into my heart and into my life. So I know that's a heavy night. It's a heavy subject tonight, but allow me to ask that question. Are there people? Are there substances? Are there philosophies? Are there causes that you've allowed into your life thinking they were wheat that are poisoning you? and are keeping the Spirit 
out. So we're going to spend a couple weeks on some of the most prominent Noahs that we let in and some of the most prominent Abinadis we keep out. May I testify of two? I'm going to teach and testify of two Abinadis that we keep out. One is your Savior. We love Him, but we shut the door on Him. We keep Him out. You know that picture of Jesus knocking on the door with no door handle? What's going on on the other side of that door? What are they doing? They're cleaning. When do we, want to, when do we let Jesus in? When are you going to let Jesus into the house? When it's all clean. When does Jesus want to be let into the house? And that we don't do. I'll let you in when everything's nice and perfect. And we keep him out when we most need him. Number two, may I testify of a, of, of a wheat you see as a tear and you keep it at bay. And that is you, who you really are. Far too many of you judge yourself to be tares. And may I testify, you are keeping the Holy Ghost out of your life when you see yourself as a tear. If you treated me the way you treated yourself, you'd be the worst neighbor in the world. Somehow it's okay to treat yourself that way. It's not. And you are keeping the Spirit out of your life. So let's talk about some of the tares that we've let in and some of the wheat that we're not letting in. And watch how making those slight adjustments in our life have a tremendous influence on feeling revelation freeing yourself from the blockage of the navel. I testify, after teaching scriptures for 30 years, I can't not teach the pattern that has become so obvious to me about your lives. Don't let the, don't let the tares in and don't keep the weed out. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.